Before we get started today, I wanted to direct your attention to d2cplus.co where we have $1 trials for our private membership community where you're going to get access to all of our amazing workshops and challenges like the Influencer Flywheel Challenge, the Automation Challenge, and the Standout with Snapchat, our Snapchat uh, challenge that we just finished recording. You'll get a full course library. You'll get access to our private group. You'll get access to these podcasts uh, when they are recorded where you can ask questions live. Uh, you're going to want to join d2cplus.co and you can do it right Right now for a dollar. So you should go there right now, d2cplus.co, join for $1 only and get all of that awesome D2C goodness. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to DTC Podcast. I'm Eric Dick along with co-host Kyle Guilfoyle. And today we are lucky to have a repeat brand on. One of our best interviews that we did was with Jimmy DeSico from Super Coffee. And today we are super lucky to dive in a little bit deeper on the marketing and operations side with Ben Knox, Vice President and General Manager of Ecom and Growth for Super Coffee. Welcome to the DTC Podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Kyle. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm doing well. No complaints. It's a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in LA. Awesome. Nice. And well, yeah, it's uh, great to have you. We we always love to to start this off with you know a little bit of what we call a value rocket. And um, one of the ways we do that is by asking um, a what is your what would you say your specific area of expertise is, and then b what is one thing about that area that most people probably don't know but they should. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of a closet uh, Amazon guy, <laughs> and uh, I know that's not so friendly uh, in the in the D2C audience sometimes, but uh, but I think actually understanding Amazon, uh, the pros, the cons, the pitfalls, um, all of that actually uh, better equips me to be a D2C leader um, because and and we can talk about it in more detail later in the show, but we are in an omni-channel world and. A few years ago, there was all these D2C brands saying they'd never sell in retail, they'd never open stores, they'd never sell on Amazon. But today I can buy a Casper mattress on Amazon and there's a few good reasons why. Um, but uh, with that, I think our strategy relative to Amazon, the big nugget here is they're kind of a scale and a reach platform, giving us really efficient access to new eyeballs, new customers. Um, but then our Shopify is and always will be our loyalty platform and our most profitable. So for us, all, all roads lead to Shopify, but Amazon is a really important part of the mix. What, so it's interesting that Amazon comes out first because they're, they're sort of like the, uh, the dark matter in the space, right? They're, they're just the ones that are going to suck up all the sales that you don't get from your D2C platform. What, you know, if, is, it, is it the lion's share of where the sales come from, from uh, e-commerce sales? Or what's, what does that split look like? No, absolutely not. We're, we're very healthy, uh, Shopify. Um, two thirds, one third, I would say directionally uh, without getting you know too into the detail here, but that varies month to month. But uh, yeah, still we see our, our direct Shopify customers spending more, buying more often, more loyal, uh, higher subscription rate, things like that. And there's some factors that lead to that uh, because we incentivize and reward that behavior on our platform where we uh, in intentionally don't do that. Uh, on Amazon. And so the ecosystem works uh, really well together and we've been able to scale both uh, consistently at that, at that healthy mix rate. 
Very cool. So, sorry, just to dig in a little bit more, what specifically about the Amazon mindset? Is it just that idea that it sort of broke down the barriers of a holistic mindset just because it, it, you're sort of reconciling with Amazon, you know, off the top kind of thing? Yeah, I think I think if you don't have that firsthand experience with Amazon, you'll be uh, defaulting to a fear mindset as opposed to an opportunity mindset with regard to the platform. And so maybe be avoiding something that could be very good and healthy for you and for your brand. Um, obviously, this this is going to be dramatically different for uh, a company that's not super coffee. So it's always important to have that kind of market context, that brand context. Where is your consumer expecting uh, to be able to transact with you and your brand? Uh, but overall, in beverage and CPG, uh, there is this concept, especially uh, as you continue to scale and need to break through on that growth, uh, need to have perfect availability. You need to meet the consumer where they are. And just the, the hard fact of the matter is uh, people, you know, starting probably at least two thirds, if not closer to 75, 80, 90 percent. I haven't seen the data, but starting product searches on Amazon and not on Google anymore. So in a sense, if you're not there in a way for a certain subset of consumers, you don't exist. Yeah, awesome. Um, one thing, one thing that's really interesting to us is is the role of uh, VP of Growth or Head of Growth, Director of Growth, um, because you know, I mean, it's a relatively new role, um, and uh, and it also strikes us as being fairly vital to a DTC brand. So I'm wondering if you could just break down uh, what that role looks like for you, and you know, what your key activities are, et cetera. Absolutely. So uh, currently, the role has me a bit uh, scatterbrained at times. Um, because uh, it's not necessarily just VP of growth. It's, it's, it's and as you mentioned, kind of vice president, general manager of the e-commerce business unit, of which includes uh, growth as the full funnel marketing that actually helps drive, uh, you know, the, the top line and, and the uh, sustainability of that, of that business line for us. Um, and so uh, really, I think, as I evolve in my responsibilities, build out a team in-house uh, that can help me, you know, focus more specifically, uh, let's say an individual really dedicated to growth in, in the traditional sense. Uh, for us, at least here, um, most likely listening to this podcast, um, growth in the traditional sense relative to a direct consumer business, a direct consumer platform, and all acquisition retention marketing that, that supports and, and drives that business. Um, but then within my purview, also needing to have uh, a dedicated head overseeing e-retail and marketplaces of which are included amazon.com, walmart.com, Thrive Market. There's even some internationals uh, that we've started toying with and, and working with a little bit on the e-retail side. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like the, the world that I live in. Um, and uh, with that, uh, a, a big range of agencies, uh, partners supporting uh, across the range of activities, um, but also some, somewhat unique, I think, uh, potentially to my role versus other heads of growth or, or VPs of growth is, is in our organization, I own the 3PL. Uh, and so, uh, and, and they do a lot of value added managed service for us, even beyond just uh, fulfillment. Uh, but that relationship and that oversight uh, comes from our department rather than uh, necessarily having a super strong ownership or counterpart in operations. And one of the things uh, you have down here is uh, securing the foundation for growth. 
Uh, and so I'd be really curious how you would go about doing that, how you'd build that foundation. Let's say you were to go to some, you know, some other DTC company or, you know, a superfoods company tomorrow, uh, what steps would you take to secure the foundation for growth? Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, any, any new partner, any new uh, employee or leader coming into organization into a role, I think what's always uh, most important in general is kind of auditing what is, uh, and, and from an e-commerce perspective, from a growth perspective, uh, auditing what is, uh, what is our world? It is the funnel. Um, and, and kind of the, the financial and the business model relative to the customer base. Um, so, uh, one of the earliest things, uh, focused on in joining super coffee, uh, early last year, um, was focusing on that underlying, uh, customer model, understanding how many customers we had, uh, at each stage of relationship with the company. So a trial, uh, a regular customer, a churn customer, a lapse, you know, all kinds of attributes that we can assign to different customer states. And then understanding the flows uh, from one state to another and seeing how that had been trending and then using that as an opportunity to then forecast into the future and understand new customers drive the whole system, but are we going to be able to focus on driving new customers if they're all leaking out? And so uh, from a foundation perspective, there's, I think, in my opinion, two parts. Uh, one, that that I just mentioned, and really making sure that you have uh, all of, of your focus on retention, such that when you do pay to acquire a customer, you are going to have the best chances of keeping that customer. And then I think uh, moving up the funnel a little bit from retention, uh, focusing on that conversion through point. And, and for us, um, we just launched a new website uh, in early December, drinksupercoffee.com, uh, a redesign and redevelopment. Um, the, old, the old website was incredibly efficient. Uh, it was really good, uh, but it was good for, for one thing and not so good for the other thing. It was great for servicing repeat customers. So it was very easy for a repeat customer who knew what they were doing, knew what products they were looking for, to come back, build a basket, check out. It was satisfying that need beautifully. Uh, but it wasn't great for attracting all of the uh, buying intent and servicing the interest of people who are higher up in the funnel, uh, people who may not be decided yet and really just kind of learning about super coffee and retail first, coming to learn about us on our website. And we were kind of missing out on that middle phase of working them down the funnel from the website property itself. Um, and so that I think those two things, retention and then moving up into conversion are, are really the foundational components you want secured first before you start dumping a bunch of money on a system. Can you give and, us a few examples of like how you took the website from, you know, like how it functioned for people who were good at, you know, wanting to get the return purchase and, and what elements you changed in order to make it much more top of funnel friendly? Yeah, Absolutely. The old website structure was uh, primarily a very long uh, collections page. So a shoppable collections page where you could scroll through kind of one product at a time if you're on mobile and just tap add product to basket. Um, there was kind of navigational cues that could jump you from kind of one sub collection to the next. Uh, so you could navigate that way, but it, it didn't have product detail pages. It didn't have category destinations or collection destinations. And I would say overall, it was probably just lacking on education about the actual product itself. 
So an opportunity to see multiple views of a product and packaging, an opportunity to really have a destination for seeing social proof and reviews on the brand, uh, both from a top level uh, uh, brand and press perspective, but also at a, at a product level customer review standpoint. So those are a few of the, the key examples uh, that we didn't have that we uh, feel strong about where we are today. Very cool. And then the other side of it on the retention side, um, you mentioned a few interesting things. You mentioned, uh, you know, with your 3PL sort of being in the mix on your side and, and you know, doing other sort of interesting, you know, having services uh, that I imagine make the purchases more delightful. I'm wondering if just generally, what are some of these hacks that you have for retaining customers? I love the fact that you said, you know, you you, you accept Amazon for what it is because, and, and you can also be really sort of confident in that opinion because you have the, re, the users to your site to back it up. You know that you're going to get better performance. You've created an experience that people really love on your site. Can you talk a little bit about your, your biggest retention breakthroughs? Yeah, I think, uh, well, we started pushing everything uh, we can into subscription. Um, so, and that's another thing about the new site is it's, you, you'll go there and you'll kind of slip and fall on, and, on order a subscription. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's been a couple customers reaching out and saying, hey, I didn't mean to get a subscription, uh, but that's kind of the, the exception, not the rule. Um, and so I think overall, what we've been focusing on more um, through the course of the year is uh, subscription starts, but then that's not good enough, right? So you have to find ways to actually delight on the back end of that subscription start. And one of the uh, in incredibly high leverage and key areas uh, that we've improved that experience is through uh, SMS uh, or text message based subscription management, um, such that individuals, consumer shoppers, customers of ours aren't having to go to the website, uh, aren't having to fumble through the recharge login experience and are simply getting either, either a text message or an email three days in advance, depending on their communication preference, having the opportunity to modify, add products, uh, extend, delay, uh, or cancel uh, if that's what they're looking to do. And just making that, you know, really easy and within reach and decreasing that frustration quite a bit. Love this hack. Love SMS. I think it's what, uh, what Jimmy mentioned in his double down in the newsletter this past week as well, sort of just saying that, the, and really, you know, the role of what to do with SMS is always tricky because it's such a personalized platform. It's so, you have to be so careful with intruding into people's lives. And I, the, the way that Super Coffee does, it appears to be really be focusing on your VIP clients, really make it a, a channel, a direct channel for your, your, your customers that are fully bought in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with, with regards to kind of marketing through SMS, so not transactional SMS, but marketing through SMS, uh, something we feel really passionate about is, is if you are going to trust us with your phone number, uh, we are going to make sure that you are actually a VIP. So any product launches, any big promotions, things like that, an SMS uh, opt-in is going to get that 12 to 24 hours in advance, always. And, and is that is that primarily it? Is it uh, product promotions um, or new products that you're sending out to that list, or or how else are you engaging with that SMS list? Yeah, that's that's an example. Uh, uh, this month uh, we're starting a series called kind of super hacks. Um, so uh, little little things that you can do in your day, small wins, kind of uh, like we like to call it. Uh, that consumers where they are today is it may not be this dramatic uh, resolution uh, that we're used to every year due to the pandemic. And so a key insight is saying, okay, what are, 
what are just the small wins that we can give people uh, to feel better about their day? They're making a little bit of a difference and kind of stopping them in their tracks. And and SMS is a, is a great uh, communication medium for that. And so we've been, uh, we have a schedule of dripping those out through SMS in, in the coming weeks. Super cool. And, and in your tech stack, it's kind of a nerdy question, but in your tech stack, what are you using to, to, to make that happen? Yeah, so we are a PostScript uh, a customer on SMS, um, but uh, that, that's kind of a legacy buying decision. Uh, I don't necessarily have a lot of pros or cons personally with PostScript that I could share with the audience. Um, but uh, I think we will look forward to in the next three to six months, kind of reviewing what's out there. Uh, because I think there's been a lot of innovation uh, in SMS uh, platforms and providers. And, you know, you, you can look at some really cool examples of, of brands like, uh, like Tyka or, or other brands who may be using a software called Community or, or I'm not exactly sure, but actually enabling a more one-to-one -one communication with CS on the back end, obviously still enabling kind of that drip communication and that, that blast communication, but driving that level of personalization even greater uh, is an opportunity, I think, for us looking forward. I forget awesome. what tool it was. Okay. So you go ahead, Kyle. Are you sure, Eric? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. I'd, just, um, just, I'd, I'd love to bring things way back up to the top of the funnel. Uh, one of the things uh, I noticed in your notes is that reducing your uh, dependency on paid social is important to you guys. And I'd I'd love to, to, to hear you, um, you know, chat a bit about why why that is and and what steps you're you're taking to uh, to reduce that dependency yeah absolutely so i think you know in in uh, ask any business owner or operator uh the second you start selling you know 80 percent of your volume to like an amazon.com or a costco you start to feel really uncomfortable uh, there's just something natural about that that makes you feel uncomfortable because you're relying so much uh, on on one single other partner and and that is a threat to the business as a going concern. So uh, regardless of what we're seeing in Facebook today, uh, it's important for us to understand uh, other opportunities to acquire customers efficiently beyond what the platform can provide. I think uh, we're, we're no different than anyone else and what everyone else is feeling is, is CPMs are increasing. Uh, people are kind of crowding into the platform uh, and there is that dependency. And so uh, really for us, it's, it's about creating that diversification, but also, you know, really thirsting for an opportunity to have a healthier mix. And I think, you know, some of the ways that, uh, some of the ways that, that actually you can use other platforms in a sense to feed the efficiency of Facebook, as an example, is, is something like podcast, right? Podcast is a great advertising medium, but in terms of its direct response nature, it's less direct response than Facebook. I think we can all agree there, right? Um, but what that can do is reach somebody at a different level of attention, such that when they do get served their first Facebook ad, they're higher intent from the start. And so that's actually gonna give you a more efficient route to that actual final close of sale uh, through Facebook and will provide good signal to Facebook, at least theoretically, uh, that you are warranted of, of, you know, pushing out to even greater audiences than you're currently accessing. So that's a theory, but, uh, that's, that's one of the ways that we're looking at and thinking of, uh, other strategies for acquisition beyond Facebook.
I love it. We're always, we always geek out on attribution and that's one that's, that's hard, you know, unless you're looking, you have to look at a very top line. And I think in your position, you're going to be looking at Shopify sales, you know, you have to break it out in terms of that, that very holistic view of your marketing budget. Yeah, absolutely. And I was inspired honestly by, um, I forget the guy's name, so apologies, but, uh, the guy from snow that you had on. Oh, Josh Elizeche. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So kind of like once you start to stretch beyond, uh, what, Facebook can provide to you or what this channel can provide to you, you start going into this world of like more traditional marketing. Yeah. You know, the stuff that like in our industry, we kind of shied away from because it's not so trackable. But at the end of the day, once you start feeling confident about your brand and your product, you kind of know your messaging cues. Uh, you can feel more and more comfortable kind of stabbing in the dark like that. And as long as the whole business is moving in the right direction, that media efficiency rate is there then you're, you're confident that you're doing the right things. And it latches onto what pod speak back to podcasts too. It latches onto the benefit of podcasts is that deep connection that you have with the reader. Like if you see a product on Joe Rogan, you know, you're so much more likely to uh, have it register in your feed or be like, Oh, I saw that on Joe Rogan, right? Like just that positive association just blends through to the product. I, I completely agree. Yeah. And then we have good things like, you know, post-purchase surveys and things like that, that help us understand where people, you know, first learned about the brand uh, to help with that attribution and kind of close those gaps. But uh, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, the, the world of uh, exclusively scaling a business, you know, past a hundred million dollars on Facebook is anywhere near possible. And what are the goals for Supercopy? Speaking of a hundred million dollars, like what, what are your, where do you want to take this thing in the next, uh, in, in 2021? Yeah, that's, you know, that's the interesting thing is, uh, you know, I, I say that number and, and that's really related, uh, you know, toward total company, which, you know, that that number is shared in Forbes articles and things like that. So uh, I think that's completely OK. But, you know, our our, our e-com business, the business unit of e-com within Super Coffee is still the minority of the Super Coffee brand. Uh, and so, you know, that that creates an interesting uh, approach with regard to budgeting and financial modeling relative to uh, analyses like CAC to LTV, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have customers who are, you know, purchasing in retail and Whole Foods and Kroger and Walmart and all these other places that we don't necessarily have a perfect view of the total purchase behavior of a given customer. Um, we've actually stitched into uh, having a unified view of the customer across Shopify and Amazon, and that is extremely helpful. Um, but beyond that, thinking of, of e-commerce as, uh, let's say one fifth or one third of the total company, it, it becomes, uh, you start to evolve into how e-com can, can support, uh, the broader growth of super coffee as a brand, how, how we can start to evolve some of our, our marketing and our, our creative on the performance side to be. Uh, more accretive or additive to the brand uh, such that we're not just trying to play those tricks and, and get people uh, behaving in the ways that we want them to online. But we're also leaving a really awesome impression for them such that if they hear that podcast ad or they see that Facebook ad, the next time they happen to be, you know, cruising through their local grocery store, they see us on shelf. And right there, it's that same effect that you were talking about with the Facebook newsfeed, but it's just happening in real life. And speaking of, of on shelf, uh, so it sounds like, you know, I, I my hunch is that, um, you know, figuring out LTV for your subscription customers is probably the easiest. You're, you know, figuring it out on Shopify. How's it going um, for retail? And, you know, what 
what steps are you taking to, um, to sort of, you know, ascertain LTV and any other relevant metrics, uh, with your retail customers? Yeah, that's that I am. I am no expert, uh, there, but, uh, we do have an incredibly talented vice president of consumer insights that spends a lot of time, uh, working with the likes of Nielsen and IRI and other panel and survey and retail data to, to get a better understanding of that. But the, the anecdote uh, that I take from our interactions and also that I, I understand from, uh, as mentioned, the post-purchase surveying is that we, we on direct consumer, 30% of our new customers first learned about us in retail. They first saw us on the shelf of a grocery or convenience store. And so it goes both ways, right? So as we scale distribution and we move across the country and get in more and more doors, it actually naturally drives uh, the behavior and the performance online. And so I think that's just what's what's critically important in, in kind of a modern CPG or beverage company is, is understanding the interaction of the, the various channels and, and really you know, believing and, and paying into, uh, the omni-channel reality that we find ourselves in. We, and, yeah, um, we just have one question here and I think you're kind of speaking to it. it it's, uh, you know, J Jordan's wondering, um, or someone's wondering, uh, they have a very large, you have a very large retail presence. How big of a, of a footprint, uh, compared to uh, e-com versus retail in all of Kichu? I guess that's a pretty big question. Do you ever see e-com becoming bigger than retail eventually? Um, but again, I think you're talking, you really view it in this omni-channel way where you're, where each side is benefiting the other. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, we're in 25,000 or so odd stores and, and growing every day across the country in, in those national retailers, like I mentioned, but also in mom and pop shops and bodegas, you know, up and down the street. Um, as, as an example and a point of context, uh, when I left Red Bull in 20, let's say 15 or 16, uh, we were in over 300,000 doors uh, across the country. So what is that? That's over 10x the number of uh, retail points of purchase um, that we have left uh, to secure and even more, right? So Red Bull's next frontier was food service and office and, and channels like that that are traditionally harder to reach. Um, but I think that just gives you an understanding of, of the true scale of traditional retail, uh, that for a product that truly is for the most part, uh, at least our bottled and canned product lines, uh, at first light, it's an impulse purchase. So you have, uh, you have an energy need and you're at the checkout or you're in a store kind of grabbing your lunch and you have that need for a pick me up. And, and we're right there with all, you know, the right messaging, price point, feature benefits, things like that against our competition. And that's kind of how we survive and thrive. And I think e-com will always be a really strong complement to that. But I, you know, if I were looking into a magic ball, uh, it feel very unlikely that the magic ball would ever tell me that we would be larger online than we are in traditional retail. But when you I, have so much room to grow there still. That's right. I'd, I'd really love to hear about um, your offer strategy and, um, and how you, how you um, introduce new products to the market, uh, especially in terms of how the offer strategy and you know, new product starts help you to maximize retention and, and LTV. Would, would you be able to talk a bit about that? Absolutely. So I think a really, a really good example here, uh, and I think every brand goes through this, uh, in growth 
in one sense, because I think we all get targeted with these offers uh, and are attracted to these offers. And what I mean is the, is the free to super cheap uh, little sampler packs, right? Um, mm-hmm. What happens there is, is uh, they're yeah, wildly efficient in terms of CPA. Uh, they might be okay on ROAS, but most likely poor on ROAS. But then you believe that the CPA is so efficient that uh, some percent or, you know, you can run the model. Your belief is that some percent or enough of percent of those will actually convert to repeat customers to make the whole thing work. And at least what we found uh, through our own experience and, you know, collaborating with others in the industry is, is almost always those fail. Hmm. And I think for a variety of reasons, but for me, my uh, philosophy there is the lower priced your offer, the lower quality of an individual that you attract. And I think, you know, if we're, if we're thinking within, uh, you know, the, the view of Facebook, right. Uh, Facebook's algorithm, uh, you're giving Facebook's algorithm positive signal on a conversion to somebody who is low quality. And so Facebook is incentivized to, uh, continue to acquire, uh, the same low quality leads that it already is within that campaign. Right. The freebie seekers, the freebie seekers, seekers, right. And that there, that is a very much a, a category of, of internet user, right. That, that, uh, that you definitely don't want to train your pixel towards. Exactly. You want people that you can build. It's funny. I, 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 you know, schlep to the grocery store once a week still, and my wife drinks a lot of carbonated beverages. So it's just like every week I'm schlepping in this giant, you know, case or two cases of, of different things. And it's like, this could just arrive on my doorstep. You know, yeah. and, and this and the same thing is true of, of coffee, who people, you know, who, who, who take coffee this way. Right. Like it's once you can insinuate yourself into their their routine in their life. Those are those are your 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 real. Those are the ones getting the SMSs, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, so for us, like our our response to that is is within reason. We're trying to create offers that are uh, yeah as expensive as possible within reason. And I think as expensive as possible is for us approaching $50. Yep. Uh, and, and in that, what we like to do uh, is, is ask for some level of performance from the customer relative to the discount. So um, in terms of brand protection and value protection, we're asking them to buy more than one case in order to get the deal most often. And that's our most successful acquisition offer is a kind of pick your bundle, uh, you know, pick your two flavors of super coffee, get 25% off, get 30% off. We're kind of testing different levels of discount. Um, but at the end of the day, that gives the consumer enough to have in the household to really get through it, give it, give it their fair shot of enjoyment. And you know what, worst case scenario, they're going to share it with their family members, their significant other, their friends. If they really don't like it, it's not going to go in the trash. Uh, we have the opportunity then to, you know, have a word of mouth impact and acquire more new customers naturally from an offer like that. I love it. And it just allows you to, yeah, it allows you to flex the pixel a little bit more. Like what, you don't have to go in, in exact gruesome detail here, but what, what sort of ROAS are you looking for on that first purchase when you're driving towards a $50 bundled purchase? Are you, are you trying to achieve a 2X ROAS or are you assuming that you're going to be able to, to hook a certain number of people onto, onto plans and, and build that into your models. Yeah, we, we definitely build in a payback, uh, on, on the acquisition there. So, um, 
you know, we are, we are always looking for the unlock that gets us to a, a you know, a two to one ROAS uh, for sure. But uh, I think there is a fallacy in focusing so much on ROAS mm-hmm. um, and, and there can be good with it. There can be a bad with it. Uh, our mindset is uh, we are in a sense ROAS agnostic. And so we, we lead with the consumer uh, we empathize with the consumer. What what offer is going to get them stoked, get them converting and acquire somebody who is quality. And then we just run the numbers. Um, and then we kind of live with uh, what those outputs are within the guardrails of that payback window. Um, and then relative to that, we kind of set our campaign or our offer level uh, guardrails for ROAS and CPA. Um, really quick, I'd, I'd love to just get a little bit more uh, clarity on that. So um, it's fairly rare we hear somebody say that they're ROAS agnostic. Um, and so I, I think that's that's very interesting. Um, and you mentioned the guardrails. Uh, could you just tell us maybe a little bit about what the metrics are that make up those guardrails? Absolutely. So it's really the payback period is what it comes down to. Um, but what we do is we, we have a, a spreadsheet and a model uh, that kind of has a built-in P&L. Uh, so there's a P&L on the first order. And then uh, really what it's driving off of is average retention rates, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth month uh, for those customer cohorts that are coming in through that offer. And then what we're doing is we are forecasting the actual cohort level behavior of folks into that intro offer, uh, such that we're comparing uh, the different payback windows and the different um, actual true ROIs uh, of those acquisition investments. And that's kind of how we lean into and and prioritize uh, different offers over the other. Cohort to cohort. Sorry? Cohort to cohort, right? Like you're looking at it. And and what, what is a, what is a time period that gives you like, what is a time period that uh, like a a maturation time period that you look at? Yeah. We're kind of looking at uh, first purchase to second purchase, you know, that's your biggest drop off. Um, And depend, depending on the offer, right? If it's, if we're talking, we're going to give you a hundred bottles versus three bottles the maturation period is way different, right? Totally. Um, so definitely uh, kind of addressing for some of that, but uh, three months, uh, three months, you start to get, you know, directionally sound. Um, and, and what you're able to see is, is, is month two is compared to the month two of the other cohort, right? So you can already start drawing some comparisons of, you know, repeat purchase within the same month of the first purchase. A repeat purchase in month two, a repeat purchase in month three of those cohorts. And you really start to, you know, it's, it's hard for the data to kind of change direction once it's hit three months. Totally. Awesome. Um, so just, just before we wrap up, we do have, uh, we have three open questions here. Uh, two, to actually. Ask. The first one we already, uh, okay, we already two. answered. Uh, so this one's short and sweet. Are you still finding increasing CPMs and tough digital advertising conditions post Q4 here in January so far? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, we looked at uh, that this morning. Um, actually, uh, uh, Thesis put out a little medium post on it. So it inspired us to, to review where we were at year over year. Obviously, with that, there's there's so many different factors that could, could drive uh, your individual brand uh, CPM. Uh, what that article shared, it was a kind of a basket analysis of 10 D2C brands. 
And what they saw is that overall CPMs were increasing uh, both on impression and reach. And that was consistent for us. Um, so our CPMs on impression and reach increased uh, uh, 16% and 26% uh, year over year. But our spend also uh, scaled dramatically, right? So uh, that's somewhat of a compounding factor. Uh, when you scale, obviously, uh, you're going, I believe, less efficiently find the people that you were finding at this at, at x plus y than you were just at x and so i think it's naturally to understand that that cpms uh would increase as you continue to scale uh potentially um but uh that that basket analysis did show that across the board you're seeing a consistent there but for us uh, our our cpas and and our returns are actually a pretty flat year over year from January to January. So we're feeling, feeling pretty confident relative to escalating CPMs that we're in a good spot relative to our offers and, and our campaigns. Very awesome. cool. You'll have to share that article with us uh, afterwards because we could include that in the in the show notes and potentially in the newsletter as well. It'd be cool to do a bit of an analysis on that. Yeah, that'd be cool. And uh, one, one final question here. Um, I was on a conference where I heard the CEO of Kitu Super Coffee and the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee talk about how coffee is a ritual and that getting new customers to adopt has a challenge. What are ways you have found to help people switch their rituals and start using uh, your coffee? That's a really good, a really good question. A great point. Um, and it is true. You know, the, the, the reality of coffee is for a lot of people, uh, you're drinking coffee one or two times a day, uh, often. And, uh, it, it's not right. Or more, right. Or you were like us and you just drink it all day long. Yep. Uh, but, uh, as opposed to like, uh, water, you know, if I'm a bottled water company or, or LaCroix is probably the best example you can crush. 20 LaCroix is no problem in a day. If you're, if you're a freak, um, and don't mind burping a lot exactly, <laughs> and maybe some indigestion. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, co coffee, coffee, you kind of have a ceiling in a sense, it's got a natural ceiling to it. And I think, you know, with, with all kind of forms of habituation, you do kind of develop your brand, your kind of preference and your liking. So, uh, that was kind of a meandering, but for, for us, I think we get people to convert and make that switch on the promise of, of product benefit and, and features. And so the benefit of our product, uh, is closely tied to the features. And that is all, all of the flavor indulgence and pleasure of a Starbucks Frappuccino, uh, but with none of the guilt none of the sugar and added protein and other great healthy ingredients, vitamins and minerals and so on that, that follow that. Um, so we're really finding people when they're in that transitional period of realizing that their diets aren't serving them or their, their food or beverage choices aren't serving them. And maybe we help them arrive at that realization. Uh, but that is kind of the, the, the primary switchover point for us, all the pleasure, none of the guilt. The content uh, right there, there must be a lot like right in that nexus point that you're talking about, the content that you can produce there for people that have determined that something and they, you know, that their coffee isn't serving them anymore or whatever. Like really, there's a lot to dig in on, I think, for content in that exact space and how you can help people in that space. Like that, that's where you're, is that what your podcast would be about? Is that like, is that really the crux of it for you guys? The, the crux of it for us is all around the, the concept of positive energy. 
Yeah. So uh, the removal of the negatives and addition of the positives, kind of this like higher order belief in the super coffee brand and what the brand does for you through its products. Um, but when you really get down to the consideration and the conversion, you're leaning more into what we just discussed, what you're kind of talking about is, is, is making that just like abundantly clear that it's a no brainer to, to switch over. Cause it's, it tastes just as great, if not better, depending on the product. Right. Uh, but, uh, you don't have to feel bad doing it. You can just party. We got to get some also, up in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. We, we would love some. I, I also think it's just an insanely valuable, um, question to ask of any DTC brand is, you know, how, how are you serving as a ritual in your customers' lives? You know, um, whether, whether it's coffee or, um, something else I, you know, um, there's a lot of value there. I think there's, yeah. One last question here that I think would be good to get into. And I think we've already talked about it a little bit when we talked a little bit about Josh Elizeche. But as you start hitting the top end of scaling and where CPMs increase, efficiency starts getting lost. What do you do then as a last question? Yeah, well, what we're doing is is investing in diversification. So uh, making a big push into podcast advertising. You know, if you listen to DAX or What A Day or Pod Save America, Sibling Revelry, shows like that, uh, we're making a concerted effort to test and validate that as an acquisition channel and as a complementary channel. Um, started testing some email newsletter sponsorships. We'll lean a bit more into YouTube and OTT. Um, some whitelisting of influencer content, I think is a, a great approach that you guys have covered in the past. Uh, but beyond those other kind of paid channels, uh, one big investment that we're making that is, is a long-term investment, uh, is around opportunities that still exist in, in SEO and content marketing, uh, for Google. So not technical SEO, not trying to drive high rank of your products against product intent search terms, because let's be honest, those don't really exist on Google that much anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it is about that medium and long tail people searching about their health, learning about what caffeine does to them, trying to cut sugar out of their diets, things like that, that we can uh, be in front of, of consumers uh, when they need us and then working them into customers over time. So I love it. The, the only other thing that I would say to, to our anonymous attendee here too, is if you're not running sales pages, pre-sales pages, pages that, you know, things that really give people a sort of a unique and focused customer experience. Um, that's something that we really lean heavily on uh, at pilot house. And then we even run things called third-party brands, which are essentially another way. If, if you're, this is something we've done with snow, right? Where your brand is very exposed in the newsfeed. Everyone's kind of seen it a hundred times. Um, you know, we're able to create a, a secondary brand that sort of like casts light and reviews the first brand, which just gives you another look in the newsfeed. So that's uh, something else that you could potentially consider uh, once you've reached a certain level of, uh, of saturation. That's very cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming on the D2C podcast. This was super interesting. You're a fount fountain of wisdom. I'm already <laughs> looking forward to you writing your first boardroom post, uh, blog post for an upcoming D2C newsletter because I think you'll be able to slay it. Let's do uh, it. Yeah, this I is a thrill. It. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, cheers. Well, hopefully you can, you, maybe you'll pop on when uh, Dylan and uh, and Jordan are on with the Superfoods podcast because I think, uh, and then you'll definitely be back for the panel. Oh, here we go. Let's go. <laughs> That's LFG. Okay, oh, hockey Brandon. season's back on. Uh, I'm revved up. Uh, thanks again. Cheers. Thanks, Ben. See you guys. Thanks.